Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast. Each week, your host, Casey Haston, Director of Recruiting at VIP, will bring you valuable insights from thought leaders, introduce you to incredible companies, and bring you tips for landing your dream job from our team of executive recruiters at VIP. And now, Casey Haston. Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast, a podcast devoted to adding value to your career or candidate search, brought to you by VIP. I'm your host, Casey Haston. I'm an executive recruiter, director of recruiting with VIP, and your all-around hiring guru. You know, and I do this show each week because I really want to bring value to your career to help you find that next best place. And just to share with you all the wonderful people that I get to meet, you know, almost on a daily basis. And today is no different. So today I'd like to welcome Mark Silverman, executive coach and speaker. Mark is on a mission to take the lessons learned along the way, paired with his business acumen, to help others define and achieve their own successes. He brings his leadership experience, together with his coach and facilitation training, to his clients, helping them achieve sustainable success in all areas of their business and lives. And I am so excited. Thank you for joining us today, Mark. Thank you. That was a wonderful introduction. It sounds so professional. <laughs> you know, so many people, so many times I'll introduce the guests because, you know, it's, I, I don't know about you, but when you're speaking, I've always been told that you need to get somebody else to write your introduction because you'll never always. do yourself justice, right? And well, because yeah, if you ask me, I just talk to people and their lives and businesses change. Uh, but then we have, we have to put it in like, professional speak so it sounds like something higher level is actually happening but it's just conversations it is conversations but it's also but you just said something very important it's changing the way people do business it's changing their business and that's that's incredible because you have to be open to receiving that conversation and hearing that conversation and then internalizing that conversation right because if we don't internalize it we can't do anything with it you know, and, and pressure's never been higher. Uh, the pace of change has never been faster. Uh, so, so the ability to be flexible, the ability to learn, the ability to listen and be open is, is a critical skill in order to make it in, in the environment that you know, people are trying to get jobs in. You know, and I think also people are so quick to prove that they're right instead of considering there may be other options especially when it comes to a job search. Definitely. So, interesting. okay, so I love to start off these conversations with how we got connected. So, pop quiz time. How do we get connected? I don't remember. <gasps> it, it, was it was definitely a referral. It was. Because uh, uh, everybody I meet is through someone wonderful who introduced me to someone else wonderful, and I can't remember. Oh, okay, you're gonna remember as soon as I tell you. Todd Armstrong. Oh gosh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> that was that was so silly of me. Yes, and uh, you know, glowing. And you and I had an incredible conversation. Incredible. Like for me, I think we were friends. We've been friends without Todd forever because you and I had a conversation before this, and it was like we were old friends and couldn't wait to get on the podcast to talk. I know, and and I love it when those conversations, like you, you get on the phone, and I mean, I, we were just like deep diving in the first five minutes. It was just like, but what about this? What about this? What about this? And I'm like, there's no way we're going to get all that on the podcast, but we're going to try. So it was amazing. But before we get started, I do want to say thank you 
because you gifted me with two of your books, which I am so excited. I gifted one to another person that's pretty important to me. Um, and But you also gifted me with a book from your friend, and I'm not remembering her name right now. But Helen, she, Helen Appleby. Yes. Uh, the Unwritten Rules of Women's Leadership. Yes, that, that was so unexpected and so sweet of you. I, I just seem right up your alley because, you know, that's, that's what you do. You know, you're a woman, a powerful woman leader. And I thought it would be kindred spirit time. Well, I just really appreciate that. And I love people that are, so we had a speaker um, at Success North Dallas, this uh, premier relationship organization that I run the other day. And this is the first time I'd seen this. He gave away about 15 books while he was given his keynote, all by other authors. Mm -hmm. And he would just, he would tell a story, he'd give away a book. He'd tell a story, he'd give away a book. And I thought, what an incredible impact he is having this morning. Isn't that amazing? It's, it's, I keep cases of books uh, that I like to give, uh, that I like to give away that, that have changed my life. What is your favorite one? Right now, I'm, uh, I give away Michael Bungay Stanier's The Coaching Habit. Oh. And his new book, just for new leaders, it is the best book. It's the, it's the first step in how to become a good leader from an individual contributor. Uh, and his new book is that just came out yesterday or, you know, pretty, pretty, I think it was yesterday, uh, how to get along with almost everyone, anyone at work. Uh, I got to uh, read it before it came out. Really good book. So I give Michael Bungay Stanier books away, give spiritual books away, all kinds of leadership books. Okay. I'm going to have to read that one because you, there's always someone, you know, when you're talking to people, someone at the office that they can't get along with, right? So right. I am very curious to hear what he has to say about that. So, but we're going to talk about you today. We're going to talk Thank about you. you and your books. So Mark, tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got where you are today. It depends on where, where I am today. Uh, my, my story is, it's, you know, it's almost cliche to me, but it's novel to other people. So when I was uh, 27, I was homeless, living in my truck, and I was 135 pounds. In fact, I just, uh, they did a, uh, somebody did a story on me, and they're doing a video, and they want pictures of back then uh, of, of, of my story. So I just picked out the picture of when I landed in 1989 in Washington, D.C., and I was 135 pounds, and uh, I, I was so skinny. Uh, my brother lived here and owned a bunch of restaurants, uh, borrowed a bunch of money, uh, borrow, uh, you know, I lived with him. He had me go to college. He had me uh, go to the gym and, and, and uh, you know, got a job. And, you know, several years later, I was married, two kids and a millionaire. And the joke is I'm a short Jewish Tony Robbins. Uh, so what I, what I found out, even though I'm an introvert, I was really, really good at sales. So I talked my way into a really great job in the tech industry, crushed it. So for a decade and a half, you know, raising my kids and, and living in status symbol land, I was crushing it. Um, the way I became a coach, though, was because there was, you know, sometimes, you know, the, I, had a, I had a podcast called Mastering Midlife. And the premise of that was the drives and motivations that get you through your 20s and 30s to that success often turn on you in your 40s and 50s. Mm. And those drives and motivations are decisions you made as a child. And a lot of them come from trauma. A lot of them come from, I'm going to prove them wrong. And I was proving that I was not the homeless guy. So I was running and gunning as fast as I could. And it was internal work that needed to be done so that when I'm driving around in a Lexus convertible, when I'm in a million dollar house, when I'm in status symbol land, I never felt like I belonged. 
So the wheels started to come off that that midlife crisis and the overwhelm and and stuff happened. So I started having panic attacks. My marriage fell apart. I got really, really sick, stone cold sober. So I, I destroyed my life stone cold sober, you know, in my late 40s. And and what happened after that was my building myself back from being suicidal and depressed from having destroyed my family and my career being in the toilet. Uh, and as I built myself back, I listened to every self-help book that was known to man, every spiritual book. I journaled, I did my work, and I built myself back into a different person. When I came back as a different person, <laughs> I was like an ex-smoker. I was like, you need to understand what you're <laughs> doing. This, this, this agreement we made to be in the 1% that's killing your marriages, that's killing your health, that's killing you know any creativity and any joy in life. You know, it doesn't have to be that way. Uh, and when I became super successful in this different fashion, that's when I realized what I need to do is I need to reach a hand back and I need to change the people's lives that uh, work to the left and right of me. And that's how I became an executive coach. Mm. That is really powerful. And I want to I want to ask you a vulnerable question. And if you're not comfortable answering it, it's fine. We'll move to the next question. But how did you end up homeless? Alcohol, drugs. Really? Alcohol, drugs, uh, sex addiction. Um, yeah, no, I just had zero, zero, zero skills at functioning in life. Mm -hmm. I was voted best bartender in New Haven, Connecticut. Uh, <laughs> that was because I was doing cocaine in the bathroom with the person who ran the newspaper. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so, and a lot of people, you know, um, you know, and I talk about this at length, you know, we're but one decision away from being homeless. And I try to be really not be judgmental of homeless people, even though you know a lot of it's the mental illness and that not getting the help they need or the alcohol and the drugs, which are really, really devastating addictions. And so I applaud you for coming out of that and then coming out of it again without the drugs. But that that's pretty huge to, you know, make your mark twice like that. It, it is. And it, it, you know, it, and my life is not that dramatic. Like my life is pretty boring now. My, the drama I do now is swimming with sharks, you know, and scuba diving in Turks and Caicos. It's no, not, thank you. It's not like the up and down of, of <laughs> craziness, right? I did my work to create a mark that's sustainable, that can thrive. I love that. And by the way, you're crazy if you're swimming with sharks. I have, oh, it's amazing. No, I have two fears in life, sharks and alligators. So... Yeah, alligators I won't swim with. <laughs> yeah, they're a little less predictable. So, all right. So tell me a little bit about your executive coaching. What types of professionals are your typical target audience? So all, most of my clients are on this, in the C-suite. Uh, I have a few CEO clients of smaller companies, uh, you know, entrepreneurs. But most of my clients are uh, on the executive team in larger corporations. Uh, so CIO, CFO, right? Those, those kinds of people. And... Often, I'm the one who's called in when someone is super, super talented, has risen through the ranks really, really fast, and hasn't had those leadership skills and those, those maturity skills uh, catch up to the level of their responsibility and the level of their impact. So my job is to help them, if they're a bull in a china closet, teach them manners. If there's someone who does the work for their people and, and can't let go and can't you know, move into that leadership piece, help them you know, mature in that direction. So that's, that's the bulk of my practice. 
And do you have any online courses or anything like that? Let's say like I am that person, but my company is not as forward thinking to hire a coach. Do you have other methods that people can reach your work? Sure. So uh, my new book is called The Rising Leader Handbook, uh, Turning uh, Fast Rising High Achievers into Effective Leaders. Uh, and I have a 12-week course of the same name. So that goes through the module, goes through uh, leading up. So becoming a trusted advisor mm -hmm. to your boss, leading in, across, which is leading in a group of powerful peers. So how do you lead with other people who are also leaders, who also want their ideas heard, who also want to make an impact? How do you lead your team? And then how do you lead yourself? So it's four, it's four sections, 12 modules. It's not an online course that you can take at your own pace yet. It's something that I bring to companies, uh, but we're going to film it and do that. But the book, the book should be out this summer. Oh, congratulations. I, I don't know that I knew you had a new book coming out. Yeah, uh, my my book coach was just calling me today, going, uh, "Hello, Mark. Uh, <laughs> well, I, you know, you know, your new book is real. I've been I've been writing, going, how's the book? How's the writing going? I'm like, it's amazing, and because I have ADHD, right? So I write what section I want, and I write this section, and I write that section. So I know the book is real, and it's about to come out when I'm agonizing over it. It's like, mm. hey, this section. Oh my God, I need to take this interview that I did over here and put this in, and this client story over here. Now I know the book's real, so it's 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 on its way. That is amazing. Is it available for pre-order yet? No, but the the book summary we because it was because I was taking so long, uh, we wrote a book summary that's coming out in about two weeks that people will be able to get free on my website. Awesome! And they can get. And by the way, the book that you have in front of you, Only Tens, you can get that free on my website also. Wow! So the digital version, right? Digital, the digital version. That is amazing. Well, let's talk about this for just a second because you discuss in your book, Only Tens, how a 10 represents, I want to make sure I get this right, the feeling of I want this and no one's going to stop me. And so there's numerous occasions in life where that qualify as a 10, but how, how do you keep a positive attitude and perseverance to succeed at what you describe as a 10? So again, the definition of a 10 in my nomenclature so the whole point of the book was I have ADHD. When I had an asshole sale ma sales manager, I was really successful because I like to please people. I don't like to get in trouble. So if I have someone on the phone saying, Mark, where's your sales? Where's your sales? And I have my numbers up on the board next to other people, I want to shine, right? So I crushed it in sales, mostly because of external validation. When I became a coach, I didn't realize I was becoming an entrepreneur. I had to run my own business. I was my own sales manager. My sales manager had ADHD and my sales manager was often interested in the things that didn't grow a business. <laughs> um, so for me, I wrote only tens to get a PhD in how to get things done with ADHD. How do I focus? How do I get the right things done? Uh, and what I found, you know, and when I wrote, when I wrote the book, I, came up with this system that I started getting so much done. When we wrote the book, the first day, I thought my mother would buy a copy. I'd buy a copy. Actually, I'd pay for the copy for my mother. We'd sell <laughs> two copies. And I sold 1,500 copies the first day. Wow. Um, right? So thousands and thousands of copies of this book are out in the world. And it just blows my mind. Uh, and it seemed, and people are giving it to people in the C-suite. And people are giving it to, you know, business leaders. And it, it's been really, really helpful. So the definition of a 10 is it has to get done, has to get done today, and it has to get done today by me. Mm. It has to get done, has to get done by today, and it has to get done today by me. So in other words, if it should be delegated, it's not a 10, right? 
if it's something that you're, you know, so I, I joke in the Mastering Overwhelm workshop, uh, what do you have on your list that was on your list yesterday and last week and the week before? Are well, you I, looking I, at my stuff? If I don't keep it on my, if I don't keep it on the list, I'll forget about it. But the problem is how important was it? So we start to whittle off the things, the, the things that are on your 10, uh, on your list because you can't say no, because you can't set a boundary, because you can't re renegotiate time, because you're having trouble delegating, right? Because you don't want to forget. And then all of a sudden, the list gets whittled down to only a few essential things. Now, the second part of the definition of a 10 has to be done, has to be done by me, has to be done by me today, is I really have juice to do it. I really want to do it. Because what I found was when I whittled things down to the essential, all of a sudden, that little voice, that in, that 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 um, intuition showed up. Call so and so, check on so and so, do this, right? And all of a sudden, it made a connection, and it led to a client. And your creativity just soars when you're no longer cluttered. So the definition, the part of the definition of the ten that you just said was, how do you know something's a ten? You did it. So you look back to see. How, what does a 10 feel like in your, in your body? So when I was, when I was depressed and suicidal, uh, you know, that second time, what I did was I thought I was going to die. I was diagnosed. I was sick. I was, I was really sure I was going to die. So I made the decision. If I'm going to die, I'm going to make a million dollars to leave to my ex-wife and my kids. I'm also going to run the Marine Corps marathon. I couldn't run a mile, but I heard <laughs> a guy on the radio who said everybody can run. So I'm going to run the Marine Corps marathon. So my kids see what you do when tragedy happens. And I'm going to give $60,000 to charity. How do I know those things were a 10? I did all three. Right? So I knew I was committed, right? 99% a bitch, 100% easy. Right? So I knew I was committed to those things. So I had in my body the understanding of when I'm lying to myself and when I'm telling the truth to myself. It was, you know, I told pub publicly, I told people I was running the marathon. I raised money to run the marathon, right? I did all these things in public to make sure that I would do it. So I wasn't lying to myself. So the tagline in the book is you don't have a time management problem. You have an honesty problem. Mm. We lie to people. We lie to everybody, to ourselves, everybody what we're willing to do, what we're capable of doing, what we're going to do. And until we get honest with what we really want to do. So one of the problems with ADHD is I just don't do what I don't want to do. And I only do what I want to do. And then what I figured out is that's all of us. We only do what we want to do and we don't do what we don't want to do. And then people say, but Mark, I have to do this. You know, I have to go to work. You don't have to go to work. Yeah, I do. I'll get fired. Oh, so you want to go to work so you don't get fired. You want the paycheck. You want the benefits, right? You're not a victim of this. You're choosing it. And when we start peeling all that back, the power starts to come back, right? I'm no longer a victim of anything. My boss doesn't make me do anything. I would like to be in their good graces. So I'm choosing to do this. I'm now empowered. So the whole thing about TENS is being honest with what we want to do, what we're willing to do, what we're capable of doing, uh, setting boundaries and having difficult conversations to get those things off our plates that we aren't willing to do or don't want to do so that we have laser focus on the things that are really important. Oh, man, I just was totally guilting out over here as you were talking <laughs> about all that, because I'm sitting here. So I have this rule because um, I journal every morning and 
my rule is if I write it down, it has to get done. And I'm just going to be very vulnerable with you again. I struggle with writing workout down in my journal. And I know I need to do it. But my rule is if I write it down, I have to do it. And I just don't want to commit to it that much, you know? And so I would you call that a false 10? You talk about false 10s in your book, right? So, so it's not a, so saying that you want to work out and not working out isn't a false 10. It's not a 10. Okay. It's, it's an eight. It's I want to work out. I'm not committed to working out. I really, really want to work out, but I'm not committed to working out. Right. A false 10 is something, a false 10 is other people's priorities. Oh. You tend to do those things. Someone runs in and puts something on your plate and you do that instead of your work. Yes. That's a false 10. A false 10 is scrolling through Twitter, you know, checking, checking who to be mad at today. Okay. Dopamine hits are false 10s. Things that should be delegated that you're doing instead of your work false tens. You think they're tens. You think they're important. You're really busy just not working on the things you're supposed to be working on. Interesting. But I love what you- a productive procrastination. Yeah. So, but no, I love what you said about like other people trying to put things on your plate. That's not your 10. That's a false 10. And that's probably why- Your 10 is pleasing people. Wow. You want to please that person more than you want to get your stuff done. Yeah, that would not be me, but. <laughs> or, or, you know, like you just don't like, who doesn't want to be, you know, like I want to be liked yeah. or I want to be seen as all powerful. I can, like, I used to, I used to tell people I'm all things to all people all the time. Why? Because I'm smart. I'm energetic. I'm capable until I couldn't anymore. But that was my identity. So my 10 was being a victim of the world because I just did so much for everybody, right? Poor me. And, uh, you know, my 10 was holding that persona because I'd never wanted to say, I just can't like, like that's, uh, I need to not do that. That is so hard. You know, one of the things that I am such a big believer in and, and boundaries are huge for me. Um, and so I live by let your yes be yes and your no be no. And if I say yes to you, I will show up. God forbid something happens, right? Like the other night I missed an event because we had a big storm and my power went out. You know, that's, you know, that's, I think that's an understandable yes that didn't work out, right? But for the most part, you know, my yes is yes and my no is no. And I've gotten really good. And I think when people get to this point where they can say no, no matter how many times somebody comes back and tries to bully them into that decision they don't want to make, you know, don't say maybe, yes or no. Because if you say maybe, you give them an end to break through your boundary. Right. I had, I was just, uh, I, I was working with a client who, uh, just before we, just before we ended our session, uh, he said, oh my God, I have to go to this event tonight and I got to, I, I promised them I'd help out and I just, oh, I just don't want to go. And there were going to be TV cameras and it was a national event and, and he's like, I just don't want to go, but I have to go. I'm like, don't go. He's like, what do you mean? This is like, there's can't like, I have to go. I said, you don't have to go. If you're going to go with that attitude, don't go. If you're going to go, choose to go and show up with a freaking smile on your face <laughs> and be all in. And he was like, what? What? And he goes, well, I need to go. And he called me the next day and he goes, 
it was awesome. He goes, I was going to go and be such a curmudgeon and just kind of do my thing. He goes, I, when I, when you said, if you're going to go show up, show up with a smile, he says, my whole attitude changed and I crushed it and we had a great time and we had such impact and it was great. So right. It's either a yes or a no. Hell yes or hell no. Exactly. That's such a good piece of advice. You know, don't show up halfway. So I'm really curious. You'd mentioned that your ADHD and I think, you know, we see a lot of that these days, not just in kids anymore, but, you know, moving into adulthood. So what's one piece of advice you would give to someone that is struggling with that to help them be successful? Read the book Stolen Focus by Johan Hari. Stolen Focus by okay. Johan Hari. The reason that all of us have ADHD right now or ADD or whatever you want to call it is because we are dopamine addicts. And kind of like obesity, it's our responsibility, but it's not our fault. Uh, it's our responsibility to pick and choose what we eat, but it's not our fault that we get inundated on every commercial and every street and every place we go with delicious, cheap food that we're told is food and told nutrition and that they sneak sugar in and they sneak corn syrup in and all those addictive things into the food which is causing the obesity crisis. Again, it's our responsibility, but it's not our fault because the society is killing us. Same thing with our attention. We keep these things in our pockets that people spend billions and billions and billions of dollars to get our attention. It's a losing battle. You can't go, you know, when was the last time you went to dinner and there wasn't a TV somewhere in the restaurant with flashing images? We go to these sports bars to eat and I, I, I can't even have a conversation when I go to a sports bar because I'm watching every game on every single TV. So we have an attention problem. And Johan Hari wrote a, a brilliant book on what the problem is and some of the solutions that you could have. Uh, but it, it, is a, it is really a losing battle. You have to turn off your phone. You have to put it in another room. You have to have uh, digital uh, detoxes. You have to have deep work time because we've lost the ability, you know, who, when was the last time, you know, like listen to your listeners, when was the last time you read a book? When was the last time you actually read an entire book, right? My son, you know, one of my sons, he's brilliant. He doesn't read books though. Like he reads articles. He reads like, like you, people, we don't have the attention span we used to. So it's not most people's fault. It is your responsibility. If you want to get anything done, you have to push society back and decide what's important to you. You know, I love that you said that. And by the way, the last time I read a book was yet this morning. So I love to read and something else. And I, and I think I've not read that book that you're talking about stolen focus, but I think it will go on the list. For I think sure. it's the most important book written in the last decade. Wow. That's saying a lot. But yeah. one thing that I did as I was doing my inner work and taking responsibility, like you said, I got rid of all my TVs. I don't have a single TV in my house and it's so freeing and I love it. I love not having a TV. So that's one thing. So I'm curious though, what is one piece of advice that you would give to a job seeker who's in the middle of a job search to help them stay motivated and confident? Cause you know, sometimes these job searches take, you know, some time. So what, what would you offer to them? So I, I don't work with a lot of people who are doing job searches, but I do work with executives who are between jobs. Mm. And often, often they have a non-compete. So they have six months. They're used to being 
crazy busy and they have six months with nothing to do. Uh, so, so again, with a job seeker, they have a full-time job. Their full-time job is finding another job, right? Uh, and, uh, and if you know, I often talk to people who are unhappy in their job, you know, what's your network look like, right? So do, have you had coffee? You know, have you scheduled coffee as if it's your job to have coffee? But I also, I tell them, what's your exercise routine? What time do you get it? Like, you have to have a routine when you don't have a job to go to. You should be getting up at a specific time. You should be exercising every single day, right? You should have, you, if, you, if you, there's a hobby that you wanted to try, like one guy who was, one executive who was in between jobs uh, took cooking classes, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and he found out that he loved it. Right. And then he got a new job, which was 60 to 80 hours a week. Uh, and but he he did it right. Like the regiment between will help you keep your energy up. It'll help you keep your self-esteem up. It'll make you interesting when you go on job interviews. Right? You know what? If you're only doing the job interview, if you're sulking and wondering what's going to happen and wor- worrying about stuff and you're not fit and vibrant and alive and interested in things, you know, your job interview isn't going to be as exciting. Mm-hmm. That, that is so true. And I'm a big believer in everything you just said as far as routines and regiment, even when you are working. I think that's important. So I want to hear a little bit about your podcast, the 